Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you were socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist life coach, and you've got episode number 35. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Before I get into today's episode, I want to make a quick announcement. This episode is brought to you by my free course called The Menopause Mood Swing Solution. I offered this class as a live webinar a few months ago, and the feedback was so good that I decided I would make it available to anybody who wants to watch the replay. In this class, I talk about hormones, mood swings, and what to expect during perimenopause from your moods and your hormones. In this class, I answer questions like, why are perimenopause and menopause such an emotionally tumultuous time for a lot of people? How can I tell the difference between feelings that are normal and valid and when I'm just being hormonal? How can I think about it differently so I might be able to get a little bit of relief? And of course, we'll be talking and looking at all of this through a feminist lens, or we'll explore how our socialization and conditioning affect the way we move through this time in life, especially when it comes to our emotions. To get free and instant access to the class, you can head to michellecapler.com forward slash mood. That's M-O-O-D. And you can also find the link in the show notes. Okay, friends, today I'm going to talk about three body changes that can happen in perimenopause and beyond that you might actually find a little bit surprising. And this is not because these things are uncommon. It's more because people might not talk about it as part of the perimenopausal transition because they might not realize they're related. The reason why I want to talk about this today is because I wholeheartedly believe that the more we know about our bodies, the better we can advocate for ourselves and our needs from our healthcare providers and the people in our lives. Body literacy starts with having a generalized understanding of human physiology when you have a body that cycles and menstruates, and this includes knowing about all of the possible things that can occur during this transition. This can help you identify what's normal and what's a variation of normal physiological function during this time, and what might be a red flag that actually requires medical attention. And then there's the part of body literacy where you get to know your own unique and individual body. Human bodies, as we know, but might need to be reminded of, exist on a spectrum of how they look and how they work. Gathering data on your own body and how it works on a day-to-day basis will help you recognize when something's off that you might want to seek care for. I always recommend that people use their five senses to get to know their own bodies. So asking questions like, how does my body look? How does it sound? How does it smell and feel and taste? Answering these questions over and over again over time will give you an idea of what's normal for you. Now, in this podcast, I'm obviously talking about human bodies on a general and theoretical level. I can't speak to the individual nuances that might happen in your body, but I want to give you a generalized idea of trends that commonly happen during perimenopause. Most of us understand that hot flashes and mood swings and irregular periods and sleep difficulties are often part of this transition, but today I want to talk about a few things that are less commonly known, but are actually quite common. So let's get into it. The first one that I want to talk about is body odor. I've spoken to so many clinical patients and coaching clients and friends about this, and the most common question I get is, 
why do I stink? Or even, why did my deodorant stop working? There are many reasons for a change in the smell of your body, but there are five main contributors that I want to share with you today that are particularly important in the perimenopausal context. The first one is hormone changes, obviously. So during perimenopause, the levels of estrogen and progesterone fluctuate quite a bit, and estrogen plays a role in regulating body temperature and sweating, while progesterone affects the activity of sweat glands. When these hormones are fluctuating and finding their new state of normal, it can lead to increased sweating and potentially stronger body odor. The second reason is metabolic changes. As people who cycle and menstruate go through perimenopause, their metabolic rate may slow down. A slower metabolism can impact the body's ability to break down certain compounds, which results in a buildup of waste products that contributes to that increased stink that you're experiencing. The third one is increased sweating. Some people who cycle and menstruate may experience more frequent or intense hot flashes or night sweats during perimenopause. These episodes of extra sweating can create a more moist environment on the skin, which provides an ideal breeding ground for bacteria. When the sweat mixes with the bacteria on the skin surface, that produces the stronger odor. The fourth thing is changes in sebum production. Sebaceous glands produce sebum, which is an oily substance that moisturizes the skin. Hormonal changes during perimenopause can affect sebum production, which leads to an increase in oiliness. The combination of sweat, excess sebum, and other factors can create an environment where those bacteria thrive that we were talking about earlier, which again contributes to body odor. And the last thing that I want to mention and I want to gently mention it and definitely leave it for last, is lifestyle factors. Perimenopause is often accompanied by lifestyle changes such as increased stress, changes in diet or medication use. These factors can indirectly or directly influence body odor by affecting hormone balance, metabolism, or the composition of sweat. It's important to note that not everybody will experience an increase in body odor during perimenopause, and the degree to which the body odor changes will absolutely vary from person to person or can vary in the same person over time. If you're experiencing an increase in body odor during perimenopause and it's causing you discomfort or concern, there are a couple of ways that you can manage it. So the first one is always check with your doctor. If you have a concern with your body and you're not sure where it's coming from, always recommend consulting with your qualified and regulated health practitioner just to rule out any red flags. And from there, there's a couple of things that I want to mention. The first one's going to seem a little bit obvious, but maintaining good hygiene. Regular showers or bathing can help reduce the bacteria on your skin that can contribute to the body odor. You can also use a gentle antibacterial soap or an odor neutralizing body wash to cleanse your skin thoroughly. And This is going to sound obvious again, but you want to pay attention to the areas where the sweat tends to accumulate, like your underarms or your groin or your feet. The second one is potentially switching up your antiperspirant or deodorant. I know that some people might be on the same antiperspirant or or deodorant for their entire reproductive lives, like since puberty, and it can be tough to think about changing or trying a new brand, but sometimes the way that the chemical compounds exist, or perhaps the mechanism of action that causes your deodorant to work in the first place might just not work for this new stage in your body. So it can be useful to potentially try different brands or different types of deodorant. There's lots of different ways that deodorants can work, and that will depend on the brand or the make. It'll also depend on your values, whether or not you want to try something more chemical or more natural. 
And again, there's no hierarchy. There isn't a better way to do this. It's about just trying and seeing what works for you. The third one is wearing breathable clothing. You want to opt for natural breathable fabrics such as cotton or linen, which will allow the air to circulate and moisture to evaporate more easily. You want to avoid and stay away from synthetic materials that can trap sweat and contribute to odor. Loose-fitting clothing can also help reduce sweat and increase airflow. The next one that I want to talk about is staying hydrated. Drinking an adequate amount of water can help regulate body temperature and dilute the sweat, potentially reducing the body odor. I know there's a lot of influencers out there that have exact amounts of water that they say that every human should drink, but I want to suggest that this is more of an experiment that you might want to go on. You really just want to drink enough water that your pee is light yellow, and the way that you get to this and the amount that it takes is going to be different for everybody, so just try it and see. And then the last thing that I want to highlight again is consulting a healthcare professional. If your body odor becomes persistent or significantly worsens, or you try a lot of these things and it just doesn't work, you definitely want to check in with your doctor or primary healthcare provider. They can assess your individual situation and provide guidance and potentially recommend medical interventions or treatments if something's going on that needs treatment. So the second body change that I want to talk about today is clitoral atrophy. Clitoral atrophy is a reduction of size and sensation of the clitoris. This can mean that sexual arousal and orgasm might be more difficult to achieve, meaning it might be harder to get turned on or lubricated, or it might be harder or take longer to have orgasms. Clitoral atrophy is due to a few factors, the first one being hormones, of course. As we know, there's a decline in the production of estrogen and progesterone by the ovaries during menopause. These hormones play a crucial role in maintaining the health and function of the reproductive system, including the clitoris. As estrogen levels decrease, the clitoral tissues might become less elastic or thinner or just less sensitive. We also have to take into account the normal age-related loss of muscle mass that happens over time. Your clitoris and the muscles that are involved in arousal and orgasm just might not get as much use due to many factors during perimenopause, such as lower libido, vulvovaginal pain, mood swings, body image stuff, lack of sleep, the list goes on. And like many muscles in your body, if you don't use it regularly, you will get some atrophy or shrinkage. So what can you do about clitoral atrophy? First, consult with a healthcare provider. It's essential to seek medical advice and to receive a proper evaluation and guidance that's tailored towards your situation. A healthcare provider such as a gynecologist or doctor or menopause specialist or allied health professional can assess your symptoms, discuss treatment options, and address any concerns that you might have. So something that you might want to bring up with your doctor is hormone replacement therapy. Your healthcare provider might recommend hormone replacement therapy to alleviate symptoms, including clitoral atrophy. Usually the hormonally based solutions for clitoral atrophy specifically are applied topically and locally. However, the decision to use HRT should be made after considering your individual health profile as it does carry risks and benefits. And that's a conversation that you want to have with your prescribing primary care provider. There's also non-hormonal treatments available that can help manage the symptoms of clitoral atrophy, like lubricants or moisturizer. There's over-the-counter lubricants and moisturizers that can provide relief from dryness and discomfort during sexual activity. So you want to look for products that are specifically formulated for the genital tissues. 
The next option is to have an evaluation with a pelvic health physiotherapist or physical therapist for my American listeners. Seeing a physiotherapist who is subspecialized in treating pelvic floor issues can help you improve the health of the muscles and tissues in the area and can greatly improve sexual enjoyment and response without needing to use medication. And if you want to learn more about pelvic floor in detail, I highly recommend listening to my episode with Hannah Ross all about pelvic health. And of course, I will put the link for that in the show notes for you. The last thing that I want to suggest is regular sexual activity and stimulation. Engaging in regular sexual activity either with a partner or solo, so by yourself, can help increase blood flow to the clitoral area and promote health. It can also help maintain clitoral sensitivity and prevent further shrinkage or atrophy. So the last body change that I want to talk about today is thinning hair. This is a common one, but there's so much shame wrapped up in it that not many people want to talk about it. You might be noticing a bit of a theme in today's episode. So during perimenopause, the levels of estrogen begin to decline, as we've discussed many times on the podcast. Estrogen helps to keep hair in the growing phase for longer, which results in thicker and healthier looking hair. So when the estrogen levels drop, hair might spend less time in the growth phase and more time in the resting phase, which leads to thinner hair strands and slower hair growth. In addition to estrogen decline, other factors can contribute to hair thinning during perimenopause, including androgen dominance. So during perimenopause, some people experience an increase in androgen hormones such as testosterone, and higher levels of androgens can cause hair follicles to shrink and produce finer and thinner hair. Another factor is aging. Hair tends to naturally become thinner with age, and perimenopause does coincide with the natural aging process. And in addition to this, the rate of hair growth may slow down, and the hair may take longer to regrow after shedding, just as a normal part of aging. The third thing is genetics. So this one is a big topic, but to put it succinctly, your family history and genetic predisposition to hair loss can play a role in thinning hair during perimenopause. So you can ask the people who cycle and menstruate in your life what their experience was if they went before you. And then the fourth thing is, and again, I want to tread lightly on this because I think it's important to explore medical factors before we look at lifestyle factors and because that can potentially lead to self-blame and shame. But to talk a little bit about stress and lifestyle factors, perimenopause can be accompanied by an increase in stress levels, which can contribute to hair loss or thinning. And then things like poor nutrition, adequate sleep, and a couple of certain lifestyle habits like smoking or excessive alcohol consumption can also affect hair health. So if you're finding that your hair is looking a little or a lot thinner during your perimenopausal transition, here are a couple of steps that you can take to manage and improve things. Again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but always talk with a healthcare professional. You want to rule out any systemic or physical or medical reasons for your hair being thinner. Things like thyroid imbalance or certain nutritional deficiencies can be diagnosed through blood work and might contribute to hair thinning. So you want to rule out all of that. And then the second thing is hair care routine. (laughs) A little bit of advice here. You want to be gentle with your hair to avoid additional damage and use a mild shampoo and conditioner that are formulated for thin or fragile hair. And you want to avoid using harsh chemicals or doing excessive heat styling and tight hairstyles that can pull the hair and cause breakage. Eating a nutritious diet will always help with skin and hair quality. And that mostly includes incorporating foods rich in vitamins and minerals and healthy fat to promote hair health like spinach, salmon, eggs, avocados, and nuts. 
And lastly, just to mention, you can talk to your doctor about medical treatments. There are medications as well as laser treatments and things like PRP injections or platelet-rich plasma injections that might be able to help with this as well. So thinning hair during perimenopause is a common occurrence, but if you're concerned that the thinning is severe or sudden, it's always best to consult with a healthcare professional or your primary care provider for a proper evaluation and guidance on the most suitable course of action for your specific, unique, and individual situation. So those are my three body changes in perimenopause that might surprise you. You may have noticed a common thread today, which is that all three of these things can come with feelings of shame, which is why nobody talks about it. The more we talk about how these changes can be a common part of this transition, the more we normalize it, which will allow us to talk about it more, which is a powerful antidote to shame. If any or all of these things are happening in your body, I would first like to recommend practicing this thought, which is, my human body is doing human body things. When you sense the shame and self-judgment coming up, when you notice yourself telling yourself that you've done something wrong or there's something wrong with you, I want you to gently remind yourself that your human body is doing a human body thing. Human bodies are weird and wonderful and they smell and they make noise and they change shape and they don't always work the way that we would like them to. And as people socialized as women, we've been taught that unless our bodies fit into a very specific and narrow category of appearance and size and shape and smell and sound and generally being as small and silent as possible, we are unworthy and should feel ashamed. But we do bleed and fart and sweat and change and grow and shift. And if we can begin to acknowledge and accept all of these things are part of the experience of being human, it can allow for two things. First, we can begin to advocate for ourselves if we need help or medical attention or solutions. If one or more of these things is negatively impacting your quality of life, because yes, a shrinking clit and difficulty having orgasms is a valid reason to see your doctor, see your doctor. And two, we can stop using so much of our brain energy, capacity, and creativity to make sure we aren't too loud or too emotional or too stinky or inconvenient or dramatic. We can get to work on creating whatever the fuck we want to create in our lives. And wouldn't that be amazing? And with that, my friends, I'm out of here for the week. Until next time, thank you for listening. Did you know that I'm a coach and clinician that helps women and people who cycle and menstruate make perimenopause the best thing that's ever happened to them? What if what you thought was the end of the best part of your life was actually the beginning? If this resonates with you, then let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. Or if you're looking for support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself and seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellecapler.com and click on work with me on the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you. Thank you.